This is the Education Gadfly Show. I mean, my khaki pants aren't really bringing it today. <laughs> my shirt? I, I would no wear comment, shirt. No comment on the sartorial I would wear, in the I would wear What does Gadfly say? Hello, this is your host, Mike Petrilli at the Thomas B. Fordham Institute here at the Education Gadfly Show and online at edexcellence.net. And now, please join me in welcoming our special guest for this week, the Ronaldo of Education Reform. <laughs> Darrell Bradford. Like the Harry Kane of ever four. Yeah, the <laughs> Deli Alley. How you doing? You like that? You like, uh, do you like Ronaldo? Are you a fan? He's a pretty good player. I, my, my teams are in the Premier League, though. I try to, I'm not really down with La Liga, but he is awesome. Uh, all right. There oh, we go. God, my favorite. So uh, talk. And that piping in is Alyssa <laughs> Schwenk from Fordham. Hello, Alyssa. Hey, Mike. Darrell, other than being a big soccer fan, uh, or football, as we should call it, uh, yes, he's showing it off right now. He is the executive vice president of 50CAN, which stands for the 50-state campaign for achievement now. Nobody ever says that. We just say 50CAN. I know. I know. It's aspirational. Executive director of its New York branch, which is NYCAN. And he's also a senior visiting fellow here at Fordham. Ooh. Woo. Which means that from time to time, we reprint your stuff. But we'd be happy to print original material. You do. From you, you uh, don't often. let it out. There is original material <laughs> that exists in the ether bring that it, has been unseen. So. And, and as everybody knows, Darrell is the best dresser in education reform, perhaps second only to Bruno Mano. Always inspires me to step it up. And I got to say, I don't know. What do you think, Alyssa? How am I doing? I mean, my khaki pants aren't really bringing it today. <laughs> my shirt? I, I would wear no the comment, shirt. No comment on the sartorial dresses I would wear, in the I would wear the shirt. If it were not, shirt. all right. If it were if not it wasn't a podcast, on you. we would. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> Uh, we, our, our listeners could see I've got this flower tiny little flowers on a shirt a drill though just looking like he uh, you know just came from soccer game yeah looking like he got <laughs> up at like 5.30 <laughs> so he could come to D.C. Yeah. thank you for doing that alright well hey Darrell so much going on in Ed Reform lots to talk about let's do Ed Reform update All right, Darrell, this week, those of us here at Fordham released a new study by our colleague, David Griffith. It looks at chronic teacher absenteeism in traditional public schools versus charter schools. To be chronically absent, you have to miss more than two weeks of school a year, 11 days or more. This is on top of school holidays, on top of, uh, you know, winter break, on top of spring break, on top of summer vacation, more than two weeks. You want to guess how many uh, teachers in traditional public schools are chronically absent, according to the data from the Office for Civil Rights? Uh, so it's uh, 20%. 28%. Almost three times as much as those in charter schools, which is at about 10%. Get another reason to love charter schools. Their teachers show up for work. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the study's out. A uh, bunch of articles out there, which is great. Thank you to our friends in the press and very interesting reactions from teacher union presidents mm-hmm. at the national and local level. Oh, I'd love to hear what imagine. they said. Oh. I'd love to hear what they said. Yeah. Well, what were they, Alyssa? Uh, they, they called us names. Yes, they did. Like, um, you know, right wingers and not like, but like anti public education. No, we, we, we didn't quite get there. Okay. No. Yeah. Okay. But which is always fun because pretty recently with the Common Core fight, we were a bunch of left wing, Obama loving, Bill Gates loving socialists. When everybody hates you, you Equal know, you're doing something. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, we're a bunch of right wingers and with an agenda. It's a pendulum. Yeah. Yep. But other comments uh, saying, "What well, uh, Randy Weingarten? What's, saying the, that, what's uh, the agenda? Keeping uh, teachers oh. in the classroom? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Educating exactly. kids. Randy Weingarten, who said, the problem isn't on the district side. The problem is on the charter side. They need to have more generous leave policy. Did they actually read your report? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I, I mean, Darrell, here's the thing is, 
when teachers are not in the classroom, mm-hmm. you'll be shocked to know there is good evidence showing kids learn less. Yeah, mm-hmm. long time, long term substitutes, not, uh, uh, not a good yeah. substitute for a full time teacher. As we say, of course, teachers are going to miss some days. Teachers mm-hmm. get sick, their kids get sick. I mean, you know, we're 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 not total meanies here, but two weeks, okay, in the over the course of the school year. Two weeks. Yeah. Uh, way more than, than employees in the private sector in the real world get, right? And the teacher union presidents all over the country say, well, you know, it, we our teachers get the flu. And they have to take care of sick parents. Yeah. Or, you know, and, and the somebody who just right out said, you know, well, I bet those those teachers in charter schools feel like if they if they take this time off, they'll be fired. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Uh, meanwhile, the charter networks that we all love, KIPP, Success Academies, Achievement First, almost no chronic absenteeism. Mm-hmm. Right? Because guess what? The culture there says you show up for work. And if you don't, it's going to be your own colleagues covering for you yeah. and your own mm-hmm. kids suffering. And so that doesn't mean that they're never missing any days, but it means that there, nobody in those schools, almost nobody is missing more than two weeks. Yeah. And, the, and more, more specifically, the results are tied to you. Like not some amorphous something that mm-hmm. we call like the the system. So, <sighs> you know, like if you're not. So for starters, you couldn't not be a success for 10 days, like yeah. over 10 years. Like yeah. <laughs> you, you need to be like all the time. Um, I do think that with all respect to uh, Madame Weingarten and her uh, uh, opposite number at the NEA, they may be doing themselves a disservice here by making this argument. To the extent that you're saying like, it's great that teachers are, that 28% of the teachers are chronically- 28%. Absent. And, mm-hmm. and that- Almost a third. Right. And that what we should be doing is creating an environment where, where more people can be absent yeah. that much. Mm-hmm. You, you are diminishing the- the impact or the perceived value of your teachers by 28%, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, like, go ahead, I'm sorry. Oh, no, no, just jumping in there. I mean, the other thing too that uh, we get into a little bit in the report, we'll be getting into more in the days coming, but one of the things that is included in chronic absenteeism is maternity leave because most district CBAs, most state laws don't account for things like maternity leave in their teacher contract. So we do have a system set up with a lot of these bargaining agreements that doesn't give teachers the supports and the kind of allowances they need to have a life as well. So gotcha. to argue that these are policies are benefiting teachers is also not yeah, quite true. Yeah. But, but at the end of the day, look, the unions are pushing for and school boards are signing off mm-hmm. on contracts that will often say you can take 12, 15, 20 days off a year for sick or personal leave, right? And not get docked for it. Right? If you don't take the days, they can roll over to the next year yeah. or you mm-hmm. get paid for them. And you can cash them out. Right? You can the, cash them out. Yeah, and yeah. these are people who are tenured and therefore cannot be fired. Again, so mm-hmm. teachers take it. I mean, of course they do. I mean, I don't blame them for taking what they're given, but those school boards are signing off on policies that they know yeah. will drive down student achievement. So I, I mean, if you want to think of like, what is an example of something where we are not putting kids first? I mean, this is it. Yeah, mm-hmm. there, there is. A, I think there's actually an interesting op- opposite side to this coin too. So it's the question of why somebody would take all those days off, right? And on the one hand, you're like, okay, somebody's abusing the system. On the other hand, if you're in a district, you're routinely deployed, uh, especially if you're a new teacher, mm-hmm. to a high need school where you get very little support and uh, yeah. and the working environment's really tough. And like, if you're in that situation, like. You might just want to get out of there, right? So, so mm-hmm. on on either side of this, I feel like the incentives are in the wrong are are, mm-hmm. are in the wrong way, and the kid is the one who pays yep. for the vacation in both instances. Yep. yep, yep, agreed. You know, the other one from the unions is well, you know, our teachers are a lot older, and that's why they're taking more time off. First of all, the data doesn't show that. I mean, that has right. to, there there was a big gap at one time in age uh, that has come down quite a bit, in part because on the district side, 
there's been a huge turnover with so many baby boomers. Why don't we just fill it? We can fix this. Let's just get <laughs> t- t- TFA, man. Let's get young people in the classroom, thing. right? If it's, if it's about age, like, let's get right. young people in then. I mean, so what is that argument then there either? Yeah. They're always like, oh, these reforms are making teaching no longer a 30-year career. But, by the way, our, you know, our 30-year teachers, you know, are going to need to take two or three weeks off yeah. a year to survive mm-hmm. this. What? Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, again, it's like, I, I don't, at some point, we got we to gotta get back to the basic thing. So, either a great teacher is deeply important and not fungible. Yep. Or a flexible quantity that you can like sub in and out 28, yeah. you know, and 28% mm-hmm. of the people can decide they don't want to be there. And we're okay with that. And I don't think those two things can live next to one another. Yep. 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 I'll be curious. What a little meta question here. I, do, how, how are our friends on the left going to respond to this? I, you know, we, we're going out the unions pretty hard. They're calling us right wingers. That's fine. You know, uh, and, and frankly, I would like to remind some of my fellow conservatives why they like charter schools in the first place, because we have seen some softening on the right in mm-hmm. terms of support for charter schools. Uh, you know, but is, is this going to make some of our, uh, you know, m- more sensitive friends on the left uncomfortable? Uh, I, I do think some of our allies right now are very concerned or more concerned with currying favor with the NEA and the AFT than they are with protecting the hard work of the Obama administration and the prior 10 years yeah. worth of standards and assessments. Mm-hmm. Because it's like, because the the DC situation is set in 2% of the policy, but taken 98% of the air. <laughs> and people mm-hmm. are really upset, you know, daily about something that the president is doing and that right. occupies their attention. And uh, they feel the unions are allies on that, even if as soon as you send out the latest press release, somebody's stabbing you in the back over a highly effective teachers or mm-hmm. whether or not we're going to use value added anymore. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know. I don't know what they're going to do. Interesting. Yeah. Now, I, look, I, I don't know what they can do right I, now. <laughs> look, I, and I, I get it. I mean, I know it's a difficult time uh, in our country to say the least. Indeed. Uh, Oh, I yeah. just want us all to remember when it comes to something like charter schools, let's have some political realism. Okay. We need all the Republican votes we can get at the state level to keep the charter train moving. Yeah, okay. And, and bending over backwards to, you know, make folks on the left happy. I, I just don't see it leading to much in terms of democratic votes. So the, charters. The, I, uh, the, the math of this, I think this is a side mm-hmm. effect of having a very young movement too. Is that like most people never have worked in states with divided government. Most people have never had who do what we do have never had a person in charge that um, they hated on everything except the one thing that they work on. And like the environment that requires them to pay attention to the math, which is that if you try to get a single party solution, you're not going to advance any policy is so new that it's it's disrupting. And uh, if if you if you don't pay attention to the math, we don't get to do it. Or if you're going to pick a single party. I'm sorry, it's the Republicans. Yeah, right, right. I mean, they're the ones who actually vote for charter schools. Well, I wouldn't, On I wouldn't, school issues, yeah. I would say. I, that is, I, I think I, that's yes, a big That is what I'm saying. Yeah. Look, and, hey, I'm I, the guy who left the Republican Party a few yeah, weeks ago, yes, okay, after Charlottesville. I, I, I wouldn't but, even but, yeah. say it that way, though. I, I would say right now, if you want to make change in states, you have to pick the Republican Party because they control 60% of the state yeah. legislatures, mm-hmm. either in majority yes. or supermajority. Yes. So and again, they vote for charter schools. And we don't want them to stop voting for charter schools. It's the math. Yes. All right. Okay, Darrell Bradford, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me, player. I uh, hope you come back sometime Great soon. Great to see the dashing Alyssa Swank, <laughs> as always. So. And the, the dashing. The kind of cool. You're, dashing, you're dashing, too. Kind of yeah. cool. It's a good shirt. That hurts. <laughs> that hurts. Uh, what, what's the, the what's the saying about uh, praising with faint praise? Damning with Damning faint praise. praise. Yeah. 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 There it is. Kind of okay. okay. <laughs> Maybe we'll have you on. Maybe All right. Thanks for having me. All right, man. Now it's time for everyone's favorite Amber's Research Minute. Amber's 
Amber, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Mike. Hey, our our big study getting some attention out there. It's this is getting uh, lots of attention. Yeah, we haven't had a big hit like this in a little while. Huh? I know. Very happy for David Griffith, our our senior research policy associate. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's good stuff. Uh, yeah. So, but you're back with another study. I am. I am. You want to hear about it? (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's kind of confusing. I hope hope you can make me make sense of it. It examines the impact of ending court-ordered desegregation policies, both on residential segregation and on high school dropout rates. Okay? Hmm. Okay. So, these policies bar districts from using race-conscious mechanisms for assigning students to schools. So, it's kind of a historical look because we know between 1991 and 1995, the Supreme Court had these standards by which local school districts could finally be released from these old racial desegregation plans. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, prior to 1991, they'd use these seven standards to facilitate the release of districts from these orders. And they were generally viewed as costly and politically unpopular. Think busing. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but in 1991, the Supreme Court ruled that more lenient standards could be used to release districts from these orders. Mm-hmm. Basically, they needed to show that they were operating in good faith okay. and demonstrate that the district was unitary and not operating a dual system. Okay. okay. So they studied 480 school districts across 31 states. That's a lot. Of which anywhere between two and 25 districts were released from the court orders in a given year. Mm-hmm. And they represent some of the largest districts in the country. They estimate the causal impact of these court-mandated changes on district-wide high school dropout rates, for one. Mm-hmm. Uh, the theory is that whether and when districts were released from the court, deseg orders are an external variable, like an exogenous variable. Mm-hmm. And they consequently create a natural experiment for these uh, analysts. They call it a difference in differences model. Mm-hmm. Anyway, then they run a bunch of tests that show that the districts not declared unitary by the courts are similar to the unitary districts, so they've got sort of parallel at the baseline. Uh, They use census data as their primary data source for calculating census block demographic data, yada, yada. Uh, And then to measure residential segregation, they use an index, and it amounts to the fraction of black or Hispanic individuals who need to move to a different neighborhood for the Mm -hmm. school district's neighborhoods to be perfectly integrated. Okay. Given the racial composition of that community. Do we follow all that? I I do. Interesting that they include Hispanics. Given, but we'll get back to that. We'll get back to that because that's part of the confusion. Uh, Findings, release from court order deseg orders, meaning that the declaration of the district is unitary. That's what they got to say. Moderately increased patterns of white Hispanic residential segregation, but it was temporary Mm -hmm. and soon returned to historical patterns. There was no effect on black-white residential segregation. Mm -hmm. The declaration also increased the rates of high school dropouts by around one percentage point for black students, so not a ton, Mm. particularly for those living outside of the South, and increased it three percentage points for Hispanics. So kind of a bump, you know, a bump we didn't want to see for Hispanics. And then I thought, well, that's kind of perplexing because you'd think that residential segregation might have something to do with that. But the study itself said we didn't see too much of that. People did not move in response to this. Right. Okay. And then. Right. But that's not maybe too surprising because you would think that this could mean in in part a return to neighborhood schools in some cases. Maybe. Yeah. But what really got me is you remember the big Charlotte Mecklenburg study that came yeah. out not too long ago? Mm-hmm. Yep. And it showed that these court, same thing, that was studying the court declarations. Right. Um, and it showed an increased racial segregation and and that the order of you're unified promoted declines mm-hmm. in academic performance of both white yep. and black. Like it was negative. Right. All around. Uh, because in that case, it really was. They had been doing a lot of busing and then 
everybody kind of went back to their home neighborhood school or a lot of people did and those schools were much more segregated than before so the african-american kids were at you know much more segregated schools etc right Mm -hmm. and not sure if that's the case in all these other places right so here you've got a bigger become more comprehensive is the difference here right it's 31 states it's Mm -hmm. a lot bigger sample Mm -hmm. and they didn't find the same thing so i don't know i know you've written a lot about Mm -hmm. diverse schools and all that and i just couldn't make a lot of sense about this negative finding for hispanic yeah kids in particular not well, too many especially because you think about back in the early 90s that you know the, the hispanic population was much smaller than it is today yeah uh, though it was starting it's it's big climb uh mm-hmm. you know because of a lot of immigration this and yeah it's hard to make sense of that right uh and whether you know hispanic kids were sort of it makes sense to think of that i mean at the time the issue you know was that we had these systems segregated based on you know whites and blacks mm-hmm. um yeah, it is perplexing. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting in that, you know, now we, it feels like we're going way back in history, right? Yeah. I mean, there's been some other attempts too. I remember the funding study uh, that Kirby Jackson had, you yeah. know, that went back decades also where you're trying to, you yeah. know, explain these, pa- you know, patterns and um, I don't know. I mean, and is yeah. this legitimate? Like they have this hypothesis that maybe this is what could explain I mean, variation. I mean, I guess we've seen these. We've seen these differences and differences types of models, mm-hmm. and sometimes they don't prove that the comparison group is comparable at baseline. Yeah. But they definitely did here, so that gives, in my mind, it gave a little bit more credence. Yeah. Um, so is the takeaway more research? Or different <laughs> research? <laughs> I don't know on something that happened <laughs> so long ago. It's and that is not- we also need a lot more good education <laughs> studies coming out. It was a little uh, bit tough this week. Oh, yeah. That's too bad. <laughs> I mean, look. I, I, right, and what is the relevance at this point? Mm-hmm. I mean, this is kind of way behind us now. And most, yeah, I mean, there's still, I guess, right. there are some districts under DSEG orders. Yeah, still, it, still operating. It just feels so indirect because the big question is: okay, they get the unitary status, and then what? Right, right. Mm-hmm. I mean, I imagine in some places there is no then what. They just well, that, keep and, doing and what they were doing. Ironically, the name of this article was. And what now or and to what means or yeah. whatever. And that's why he thought yeah. when he found this sort of high school dropout negative finding that there was a there there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Except he didn't know what to make of the there. And he was very, you know, the, the researchers at the end were equally perplexed around how to yeah. figure out what's mm. going on here. So yeah. anyway, <laughs> I, sometimes right, I bring kind of fuzzy, unclear, what do we make of this kind of study? So sorry Fair enough. Well, all right. But, but the bottom line, hey, education researchers, get some better stuff yeah, coming. Yeah, it's a little bit, a little bit fallow up there uh yes all right that's uh that's the charge to the field still interesting well, we'll, we'll call it interesting like, yes we I will it was interesting but <laughs> it's clearly not as important as our new stuff <laughs> that's right to put another plug in there for that check it out everybody Absolutely. on teacher absenteeism mm-hmm. on our website and until next week i'm Alyssa schwank and i'm mike petrilli of the thomas b fordham institute signing off The Education Gadfly Show is a production of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute, located in Washington, D.C. For more information, visit us online at edexcellence.net.